there is just one person from scripture that you could sit down and have dinner with, who would it be? I'm asking. Besides the triune God, the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, if there's one person that you could sit down and get to know over lunch, over dinner, who would it be? There's a lot of different people to choose from. Maybe you go Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, patriarchs. Maybe you go New Testament, you go Peter, Paul, Matthew. Maybe you go with some of the leading ladies from Scripture, Mary, maybe Eve, maybe Sarah. Who would it be? For me, the one person that I would want to sit down and have dinner with from all of Scripture, my favorite Bible character other than my God, is King David. And that's just one reason why I am so very excited for this sermon series that we're starting today. But there's a lot of other reasons that I have been looking forward to this sermon series that we're calling David. Can I tell you why? By sharing with you uh, maybe what we'll call David by the numbers. Let me share some numbers with you. Uh, First is the number two. Did you know that right behind Jesus the person whose life is most talked about throughout scripture is David. David is the number two most talked about person in all of scripture. In fact, the number third person right behind Jesus, David, is a two-way tie between Abraham and Joseph. And they are talked about 14 chapters. Their life spans 14 chapters in the Old Testament. And they each get mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. So, 14 chapters for Abraham and Joseph. Do you know how many chapters David's life gets? 66. David's life covers 66 chapters of the Old Testament. And he's not just mentioned once or twice or a few times in the New Testament. He is mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. And that's not adding up all of the Psalms that David authored. David authored 90 of the 150 Psalms. That's 60% of the Psalms that we have in scripture. King David wrote them. That's not counting the ones that he commissioned. 90 Psalms. You look at these numbers, you think about the ink that is spilled on David or by David in scriptures and ask yourself this, you think this is someone that God wants us to pay attention to? You think this is a life, this is a faith that the Holy Spirit wants us to take note of? I think so. And I want to tell you why. In fact, I want to tell you why by sharing with you two more numbers. The first one is 28. 28 generations after King David was born in Bethlehem, shepherd sheep on the hills in Bethlehem, and grew up to be the king of God's people Israel, 28 generations later, another king was born in Bethlehem. Grew up to be the good shepherd of God's people of Israel. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. King David is the earthly great, 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 times 28 grandfather of Jesus Christ, who was born, yes, true God and true man. It is the house and line of David that our Savior descended from. It's pretty cool. Here's one more number. It's the number one. It's the number one because King David is the only person, the only one person in all of Scripture about whom God says, this is a man after my own heart. 
God testifies twice, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, and says, David, yes, David is a man after my own heart. I mean, think about that title. Think about that compliment. Put your hands up if you would like the God, the God, the creator of the world, the almighty God, the God of angel armies to call you a man after God's own heart. Put your hand, I think that might be a cool thing for God to say, Matt, yeah, talk about Matt. Yeah, that's, there's a guy who is after my own heart. Yeah, Robin, that is a woman who is just like me. She is after my own heart. That's a pretty cool compliment after God's own heart. But what does that mean, really? To be after God's own heart. Well, that's our big question for today. What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? What does it mean that David was a man after God's own heart? And the real question that matters for us is, is it even possible that you or I, can be that, can be a man, can be a woman after God's own heart. We're going to talk about all that today, but first, you need to let me set the stage for the life of David. And to do that, what I'm going to do in the next three minutes is cover 1,000 years of history, okay? 1,000 years of Old Testament history coming at you, so sit back, relax, here it comes. So 900 years, almost a thousand years before King David was born, God appeared to a man named Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob, and he made a promise. He said, I'm going to bless your families. In fact, I'm going to grow your families into a great nation. You are going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And God made good on that promise. He blessed those families. Those families grew. In fact, those families grew so large that when the Hebrews, the Israelites, were down in Egypt, they grew to be so numerous as a nation that they threatened the Egyptians and Pharaoh enslaved them. But God led them out of slavery. God led them through the Red Sea. God led them through the desert for 40 years. And God brought them and put them in a promised land called Israel. And God blessed that nation. But God's people were on what some historians have called a slow drift. A slow drift away from God. You see, when they got into the promised land, God gave them a command, don't worship other gods. Don't let your heart go after other gods. I am your God. You are my people. Don't commit idolatry. But they did. And so God's people drifted slowly away, away, away from God. But each time they did, God raised up a leader called a judge, someone like Samson or Gideon or Deborah or guy who, guys who have cool names like Shamgard or Ehud to go after God's people and bring them back to him time and time again. This is what our loving God does. Then there was one more judge. His name was Samuel. He was not only a judge, but he was also a prophet of God. And he not only brought God's people back to him and gave them peace in the land militarily, he also gave them peace spiritually. He brought them back to worshiping the one true God. But something significant happened during Samuel's reign, Samuel's time as leader of God's people. You see, up till this time, Israel had been a theocracy, meaning God was the only ruler, the only one for them. They were a land governed, a people governed by God, who followed God, who lived by God's laws. There was no king. There was no one else in charge except God. 
But God's people looked at Samuel and said, hey, we're done with that. We don't want to live in a theocracy anymore. We want a king. Samuel, go get us a king because we want to be like every other nation. And as you can imagine, Samuel was hurt. Samuel was hurt by this, not personally, but he was hurt because of what this meant about the people's hearts as they sought the Lord. But what's amazing is what you read in 1 Samuel and see how God reacts to this request. He warns them about the dangers of having a king, replacing a theocracy with a monarchy. But God loves his people. He shows compassion and cares for his people, and he gives them a king. Astonishingly, he raises up a man on whom he pours out his spirit so that he can govern with all wisdom and faith and grace. He pours out his spirit on a man named Saul, a man who is gifted physically, a man who is gifted intelligently, a man who is gifted spiritually to lead God's people. And that's where we're going to pick up the story for today. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, where Saul has just been named king, king of God's people Israel, the first king in Israel. And I want to encourage you to read the rest of 1 Samuel. In fact, I want to encourage you to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all the way up to 1 Samuel to get the backstory about a God who so loved his people, who so goes after his people, even when in spite of their rejection from him. But we're picking up today at 1 Samuel chapter 13. And remember, our big question for today is, what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? What does that look like? And is that something that we can be? I want to answer that question by showing you two scenes, one from 1 Samuel chapter 13, one from 1 Samuel 16, where we see a stark example of what someone is not. Someone who is not a man after God's own heart looks like before we look at David, someone who is. This is 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to pick it up at verse 5. But before that, little backstory. Saul's king. He's just won a couple military battles, but the arch nemesis of Israel, the Philistines, are gathering around the Israelite army. And that's where we pick it up here. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. Israel's outnumbered greatly. And you think, this is reason to start shaking in your boots, right? They are numbered as numerous as the sands on the seashore. This is reason to be afraid, right? Well, Israel shouldn't have been afraid. Time and time again, they were outnumbered by the enemies of Israel. And time and time again, God gave them a victory. And on top of this, Samuel, the prophet, just spoke to Saul in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. And he said to him, listen, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait. You must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. In other words, Saul, go down to Gilgal. Philistines are going to surround you, but just wait. Just wait. Just wait for the Lord and just wait to see how the Lord is going to give you victory over your enemies. But what happens? Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him. They were quaking 
with fear. They forgot their God. And so what do they do? Well, Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Might read that and say, okay, well, good initiative, Saul. Way to go. What's the big deal? Any Israelite watching watching this would have known this was a huge deal. This wasn't just a little thing that Saul did. This was a big deal. Their jaws would have dropped to the floor as they watched Saul request the offerings and offer them up. Because guess what? Saul shouldn't have done that. Only priests, only prophets from the house of Levi were allowed to offer offerings up to God. Everyone would have watched and said, Saul, what are you doing? You're massively overstepping your authority as king. Don't do this. And wouldn't you know it, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. What have you done? Asked Samuel. And this is where we see the heart of King Saul. See if you can pick it up. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, well, I thought, well, now the Philistines will come down against me and at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. I, 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 I. Saul thought, that he should act. Saul thought that the urgency of the situation outweighed the importance of the situation, which called him to obey his God. And so Saul, thinking that he needed to do something, that he needed to act, that he needed to be the big man, literally grabbed the bull by the horns and offered the burnt offering. Samuel gives it to him straight. This is what he says. You've done a foolish thing. You have done a foolish thing, said Samuel. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. And get this, listen to what Samuel says to him next. He says, if you had, if you had just waited, if you had just listened and let God be God and let him be your king, if you had just waited, Saul, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all the time. But no. But now your kingdom will not endure. And the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and he appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Every time I read this section of scripture and think about Saul and what he did And what God did because of his disobedience, I think, man, God, that is harsh. I mean, it's it's a little thing, right? It's just a little thing to offer up a burnt offering when you're not supposed to. You made a dumb decision. Does the punishment, God, really fit the crime? If you thought that, if you feel that, you're not alone. I want you 
to hold on to that because we're going to address that thought in just a minute. But for now, catch this just one point. God knew the heart of Saul. And that's why God did what he did. God rejected Saul because Saul was on the throne in Saul's heart. Here's what I mean. Saul was the master and the commander of his life. Saul listened to Saul. Saul did what he wanted to do because in his heart, God wasn't on the throne. In his heart, Saul was on the throne. And what God said didn't matter to him. And all the rest of 1 Samuel shows this. I wish this was just one isolated incident. But if you read this story about Saul and Israel's first king, what you see is someone who is led by them, their wants, their desires. At his coronation ceremony, he doesn't step up to the occasion. He doesn't listen and know that God is called him and has his back. No, he's afraid. Why? Because Saul was on the throne in Saul's heart. Later on, he disobeys God. He, he attacks the city and God said, destroy the city. But Saul said, no, actually, I'm going to attack, destroy the city. And I'm going to keep the best stuff for myself. Why? Because Saul was on the throne in Saul's heart. Later on, he drives and drives his army all for his own revenge, starves his army, and almost kills his very own son. Why? For his own selfish vengeance. Because Saul was on the throne in Saul's heart. You keep reading 1 Samuel, and this is what you see. But you also see another example. You see the example of Israel's second king. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16. It starts out this way. The Lord spoke to Samuel, and he said, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. God said, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be your king. Now, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. So Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. Then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the story of King David being anointed the king over Israel. And as amazing, as fascinating, as gripping as this story is, you want to know what's even more incredible about this? It's what happened just after. In the very next verse, after David was anointed king over all of Israel, this is what happens. Now, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit of the Lord tormented him. God allowed an evil spirit to torment Saul because first Saul had rejected God. And so God removed his spirit from him. And the people in Saul's court had an idea. They said, let's find someone 
who plays music really well. Let's find someone who plays the harp or the lyre to come. And every time that this evil spirit torments you, Saul, they will play and your soul will be soothed. One of the uh, servants had this idea. He said, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Not a bad resume, right? And he adds this. Then Saul sent the messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. Did you catch those last three words? Where is king-elect David, who has just been anointed the second king over all of Israel? He's with the sheep. After David had been anointed king over all of Israel, he didn't go and print new business cards that said, king of Israel. He didn't throw a party. He didn't go on a trip to Disney World. He didn't take his shepherd staff, shove it at his brothers and say, chumps, your turn. I'm out. No, what did he do? He went to go be with the sheep. In the obscurity of the Bethlehem Hills, unnoticed, unknown, unapplauded. Why? Because he obeyed his father, Jesse. He obeyed his God, who said, obey your parents. Listen to what they tell you, even if you're the king over all of Israel. Might seem like a little thing, right? But it's a big deal because it says a lot about the heart of the man who was going to be king over all of Israel. And it didn't just stop there. After this, David listened. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to his father, to Jesse, saying, please allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. David could have been afraid of the man who was currently king and later wanted to kill him, but he wasn't. David could have been a braggart and and boasted, Saul, I'm here, I'm going to replace you, but he didn't. He simply obeyed and served in Saul's court as a court musician and did it so well that Saul loved him. You look at Saul and what he did and what he did to be rejected by God. He disobeyed God. You might say, man, that's, that's just a little thing, right? But it, it showed a big problem. That on Saul's heart, the throne in Saul's heart sat, not God, but Saul. And then you look at David, you compare the two, and what you see is David do something, you might say, that's, that's just little, that's not that big of a deal. But it revealed something much bigger going on inside. On David's heart, on the throne in David's heart, sat God And that's who he followed. And that's what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Here's our big answer to our big question for today. Being a man or a woman after God's own heart means God alone is on the throne in your heart. That's what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was loved or chosen more than Saul. No, both were chosen from nothing to be something, to be the king over all of Israel. David was not a man after God's own heart because God had given him a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Saul didn't get. 
No, they both received the Holy Spirit, gifts from God to lead God's people of Israel. David was not a man after God's own heart because he was perfect. You know, as we move along throughout this series, you're going to find out, and perhaps you already know, quite the opposite. Now, David was a man after God's own heart because God alone sat on the throne in his heart. And that meant that David obeyed God more than himself because he knew the one who had put him on the throne in Israel sat on the throne in heaven. David was a man after God's own heart because David trusted God more than he trusted himself. He trusted that God knew better than David knew, that God would care for him and his people better than David could. And in the same way that God cared for me when I was living and working as an obscure shepherd and he protected me against bears and lions, no, he's going to be with me as I shepherd God's people, Israel. Now, David was a man after God's own heart because David loved God more than David loved David. That's what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. So here's the question. Which king are you? Are you King Saul? Or are you King David? Who's reigning on the throne in your heart? Fast forward a thousand years to when Jesus, the second David, was here. Someone came to Jesus to test him. They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one's the greatest, Jesus? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus puts it really simply. Listen, if you want to be a man or a woman after my heart, love me with all your heart. Imagine for a moment, this pedestal is the throne in your heart. Jesus says, put me and me alone on the throne. Let me be your God on this throne. And there's not room for anything else. So I'm asking you, Who's sitting on the throne in your heart? Because it's Sunday morning and we're here in church, it's real easy to say, yeah, Jesus, he's on the throne in my heart. But what happens Monday when things pile up? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your to-do list. Maybe it's the bills. Maybe it's just your busy family calendar. What happens when these things start taking a priority in your life? What happens when these things start being the source of what makes you feel good? I got things done on my to-do list. I made it through my work week. I achieved things at work. Who sits on the throne in your heart? Because it can't be both. Who's sitting on the throne in your heart? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Of course, you love God and you never say, I love my boyfriend or girlfriend or my spouse or anybody else more than I love God. But think about this, whose words carry more weight in your life? Who claims more of your affection in your life? Maybe it's not someone in your life Maybe it's lots of people. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's the fun times that you have with them. 
You say, no, I don't love my friends and family more than I love God. But look at your calendar. Look at what you do. What drives you more? What do you put as a bigger priority in your life? Who do you spend more time with in your life? It can't be both. If you're to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, it means having God alone on the throne in your heart. And here's a question. If you're wondering whether or not God is alone on that throne, here's a question for reflection. Think about this. What do you expect to be your source of good? Who do you expect to be your source of blessings, of comfort, of information? What do you expect to receive joy from? Do you expect good to come from your job? And if things don't go well at your job, if you're not performing well at your job, your life is just crushed and you're ruined. And if you're fired, well, then you're really, really down on things. Well, then that tells you who's on the throne in your heart. Is it your friends? How well they're treating you at school? The nice things they're commenting about on Instagram and Facebook? Is it, is it your friends? Are they on the throne in your heart? Who do you look to for affirmation to let you know you're a swell guy, you're a great girl? Who is it? Is it God? Or do you care more about what people say? Who alone is sitting on the throne of your heart? One way to ask that question is to look at your life and say, where do I expect to receive good from? Is it a paycheck? Is it a bank account? Is it how my marriage is going? Is it how I am doing as a mother, father, sister, brother, or a friend? This will tell you who's sitting on the throne of your heart. King David wrote the 23rd Psalm, perhaps the most famous Psalm, and it starts out like this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. But so often our version of the 24th Psalm, 23rd Psalm looks like this. The Lord's my shepherd, but I still want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, but the grass is always greener on the other side. He leads me along right paths for him's namesake. But you know what I want? I want to blaze my own trail for my sake, for my glory, so my name is great. Begs the question, to be a man or woman after God's own heart means having God alone on your throne. Is, is that something that, that's even possible? Is that something that we can have? Or is it only for King David? Will you look at David's life for a second? And what you will see is, as I said before, someone who is anything but perfect. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a failure as a father. He was someone who got on to the self-aggrandizing that most kings get to. But here's something that's different about David when he sinned. He didn't play a game of thrones with his heart. When his pride, when his passions, when his pleasures got the best of him and something else took the throne in David's heart, God called him back and he knocked off whatever was on that throne 
and God took the place again. In other words, he repented. He turned to his savior. He asked for his forgiveness and the Lord once again sat alone on the throne in David's heart. And my friends, you can do the same. What is on the throne in your heart? If it is not God, knock it off. Literally kick it off, get it on there. Turn to him, repent to him, look to him because guess what? Your God is your good shepherd and he has chosen you. Look, King David didn't grow up in a noble birth. He didn't come from a royal family and neither did you actually or neither did you spiritually. But as we read in our lesson from 1 Corinthians today, God chose you, those of you who are not of noble birth spiritually to be his own. This is what 1 Corinthians says. It says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the lowly things of the world so that no one may boast before him. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let this be your boast that the God above, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has called you to be kings and queens in his kingdom. He has given you that when he put you in Christ and gave you holiness and your redemption. Let this be your boast. Let this be your confidence. Let this be your strength. Not fearing what mere mortals have to say or what they think about you, but that the God above calls you your friend. He calls you his child He calls you his beloved. Let this be your peace, that no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what your rebellious ways have looked like, you cannot get away from your good shepherd because he has now made you bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is your God. The question, can you and I be men and women after God's own heart? Is yes, 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 you can because the Lord is your shepherd and there's nothing that you lack because of that. Because the Lord is your good shepherd and there's one thing he wants most of all, and that is your heart. And so what he did is he sent the second David, a better David, to come and rescue you. And not in the way that David did from lions or from wolves or bears. No, he came and he rescued you by giving up his life, by putting himself in between you and the wolf of Satan, by putting himself between you and the lion of hell and giving your life for you so that you can have life. And I'm not talking about life here on this earth, life to the fullest with him forever in heaven. That is what he did for you. And now he says, you are mine. I am yours. I know your name and you know mine. Anything that you want, look to me. Anything that you lack, look to me. When you are feeling pain, when you are feeling depressed, when you're feeling scared, when you are feeling hungry, come, cling, creep, crawl to me. Let me be alone on the throne in your heart and I will give you what you need. There's nothing you will lack because I've given my life for you. I have made my life yours and your life mine. And get this, he says, your heart is my heart. My heart is your heart. And that makes you, and that makes me, men and women after God's own heart. Amen. Amen.